to be saved. Be more than just a prayer to pray. More than just a way to heaven. What does it mean to be here? To be formed in his likeness. Know that we have a purpose. To be sold. To be salt and light in the world, in the world. To be salt and light in the world. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Say so. Say so. Oh, that the church would arise. Oh, that we would see with Jesus' eyes. We could show the world. To be salt and light in the world, in the world. To be salt and light, to be salt and light in the world, in the world. To be salt and light, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Say so, say so.
God this morning. Hey, I've got a, I got a good word for you today. He's already won the battle. Do you agree? So that means no matter what you're going through, no matter what you feel, no matter what you see, no matter if you fail or you won, 
He has it. It's in his hands. It's not in ours. Right? He died for you. Whether you know him or not this morning, he died for you. And he loves you. And the cool thing is that no matter what happens to us, he gets the glory. And God has never found his glory in our torment. He loves you dearly. Today we're going to give him glory. We're going to worship him. What an opportunity we have. I was talking about it earlier with someone about having this feeling of nowhere to go, sitting on your knees, having nowhere to go. And I heard a pastor once say that if, uh, if you're on your knees, you have nothing else to do, just raise your hands. Give it up. You can't do anything. You're already there. You're already lost. But he won. And it's his. So this morning, let's raise our hands. Let's give it up to him. God, it's all yours. God, today, whatever we're going through, we give it to you, Jesus. The God above all else, who carries all things, who loves us all dearly personally. Lord, we love you and we worship you today in Jesus' name and everyone said. Sing bless the God. Bless God and strength and power. Hold our throne and forever. Love this world could never stop. There is no one like our God. Reaching down to touch the broken. And mercy breaking through this moment. And faithful is the one who saves. Worthy is your name. No God, the glory is yours. The kingdom is come and the battle is over. Jesus, when you name we arise. The glory is yours. The glory is yours. We give it all up to you today, Jesus. Thrones and angels. Thrones and angels watching wonders. On that day. On that day when time is over. Every heart. Every heart at last proclaimed. Worthy is your name. Oh God, the glory is yours. The kingdom is come and the battle is over. Jesus, in your name we rise. The glory is yours. The glory is yours. Oh God, the glory is yours. The kingdom is come and the battle is over. Jesus, in your name we rise. The glory is yours. The glory is yours. Come on, church, we're going to play it together. No, it's not there has never been anyone, anything like you, nobody beside you. There has never been anyone, anything like you, nobody beside you. There has never been anyone, anything. 
like you. Nobody beside you there. I've never been. Come on, everybody, let's be great. Nobody beside you, there will never be anyone, anything like you. Nobody beside you, there will never be anyone, anything like you. Oh God, the glory is yours, the kingdom is come and the battle is over. Jesus, in your name we rise and the glory is yours. Come on, church, let's sing. No God, the glory is yours, the kingdom is come and the battle is over. Jesus, in your name we rise, the glory is yours, the glory is yours. Oh God, the glory is yours, the kingdom is come and the battle is over. Jesus, in your name we rise, the glory is yours, the glory is yours. Nobody beside you, there will never be. Anyone, anything like you, nobody beside you, there will never be anyone, anything like you, nobody beside you, there will never be anyone, anything like you, nobody beside you, there will never be anyone, anything like To you we give the glory. We wait for you, Jesus. We bless your name today. You reign sovereignly over this land. You created us in your image. Lord, thank you for your grace today, Jesus. You're good and there's no one like you. So good to us, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, we love you. There's nothing like your presence, Jesus.
Come on, church. He's good this morning. Amen. Come on. I said he's good this morning, church. I want to take a second and welcome you to our worship experience this morning. If you're here for the very first time, man, welcome to City Church. And my name is Keith. I'm a volunteer here at City Church. And and we just, we make no apologies. No matter what, you might have come in here thinking you're going to lose your mind this morning. And that's okay. But we make no apologies for saying that we serve a God who we believe is good. Come on. We really do believe that. We sing songs about it. We, we think about it. We worship because we know he is good regardless of what we're facing today. And what I want to do here this morning before we go any further this morning, I want to pray for you. 
We're, we're, we are committed to praying for the needs of God's people every time we gather in worship. And I just want to pray for you right where you are with whatever you walked in the building with this morning. Listen, it's okay. And I believe God can meet you right in your seat right now. You believe that? And so if you're here this morning, church, you've got a need in your life. You've got something that, that you want God to do in your life. You've got a financial need, a physical need, a, relation, a relationship need, whatever it is in your life. Man, I want to pray for you. Can you lift up your hand and let me know who you are? You have a need in your life. Can I pray? Come on, look at these hands going up all across this place. Let me pray for you. Believers, if there's somebody right around you, feel free to lay hands on somebody right around you. I believe some needs are going to be met right now in this moment. Father, we come to you, God, as your children, confidently knowing, God, that you're working all things together for good in our lives. Father, I pray for every hand raised, God, representing a physical need, a physical ailment that needs healing. Father, I pray healing and life to go forth. I speak it over your people right now. God, I pray for those, God, who are needing a financial miracle, needing a job, God, needing hope in a relationship, in a marriage, God, and with their children, God, wherever, whatever it may be. Father, I speak life. I speak wholeness, God. I speak your blessing, your grace, your hope, God. God, that no matter what we're facing, God, we know we can declare that you are good in the midst of it. Come on, church. Let's declare this one more time. with us this morning, and, um, and I'm excited for the message today. Aren't you excited? Excited for what's to come? And so uh, before you're seated, let's be family. Get out of your aisles, shake a couple hands, give a couple hugs, and say hello to the people right around you this morning.
morning, City Church. How are you guys feeling today? I just love worship. Don't you guys just love worshiping God? It's just it's one of my favorite things to do in the whole wide world. I just love it. Well, if you are a first-time guest here this morning and have not received a welcome brochure, our ushers are making their way forward, and they'd be happy to get one for you. Uh, who in here likes free stuff? I like free stuff. You should like free stuff. If you fill this out and turn it in at the Welcome Center after service, you actually get a free gift, which is incredible. So, yeah, make sure to turn it in at the back table. And also, if you are a second or third-time guest or you attend here regularly, we have blue connection cards in the seat pocket in front of you. Go ahead and fill it out. Put it in the usher, the, uh, the offering buckets as they pass. I'm so sorry. And check out this video. <laughs> Good morning. It's a great day at City Church, and we're glad you're here. I'm Pastor Kristen. And I'm Mikey. And I'm Michaela. And we're your next step tour guides today. Please join us as we review our next steps. We love to pray. We are in the middle of 24 hours of prayer. If you haven't made it yet, it's not too late. Prayer continues today and this afternoon and then ends with a night of worship tonight at 6 p.m. in the sanctuary. Join us as we seek God for our next step as a church. Bring the whole family, too, because child care is provided for birth through age 4, and ages 5 and up will be worshiping with their parents. Wednesday nights are for... The whole family! We meet at 7 p.m. with groups for kids, youth, and adults. We have Royal Rangers and Impact Girls for the kids, wide open church for all middle and high school students, and small groups in the round for all the adults. Right now, we have two classes, God's at War and The Story. Everyone can be a part of what's happening here at City Church. If you'd like to learn more about City Church, where we came from, and where we're headed, please join us at our membership seminar on Sunday, June 15th at 10 a.m. during our second service. Kids, where can they register for this? On your connection card. We are so excited about what we've got in store for Sunday, June 22nd. Kids will join their parents right here in the sanctuary for a fun family service. And then afterwards, we're going to New Smyrna Beach. How fun would it be to spend a day at the beach with your church family? Transportation is provided on a first-come, first-served basis. We will be meeting in the parking lot at 1 p.m. sharp. We'll also be baptizing people that day. If you'd like to be baptized at the beach, register on your connection card. To learn more about City Church or to find out what your next step is, please visit our website at orlandocitychurch.com or check out your bulletin. In case you need them, bathrooms are located behind the main auditorium, and we have wheelchair-accessible bathrooms located right outside the kids' church entrance. If you've got questions, we have answers. Just find anyone wearing a City Church name tag, and we'll be happy to help you. Thanks again for being with us today. We hope you enjoy the service. We're glad you're here. During the time when God sent judges to help Israel, there was a woman named Hannah. Hannah really wanted to have children, but was unable to. One day, she was so sad about this that she burst out crying and praying to God to give her a son. One of the priests of Israel named Eli was nearby and heard her and assumed she was drunk. How long are you going to stay drunk, he said to her. Put down your wine. Hannah explained that she was not drunk, but weeping and praying for God to give her a son. 
When he heard this, he prayed that she would indeed have a son. Soon after, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel. When he was a young boy, she brought him back to Eli, the priest, and the two of them prayed that God would use Samuel. One night, when Samuel was a little older, God spoke to him in his room, telling him about things that would happen in Israel in the future called prophecies. This was the beginning of a special relationship between God and Samuel. God would use Samuel to speak to the Israelites over and over as a prophet. But the Israelites weren't satisfied with the prophet. They wanted a king, a military ruler, like the other nations around them had. Despite Samuel's warning against it, they demanded God give them a king. Eventually, God told Samuel who to make king. A man named Saul, who was easily a foot taller than any other man, someone the Israelites would trust to lead them. Samuel brought Saul in front of all of Israel. When the Israelites saw him, they shouted, Long live the king! Hearing that Israel had a new king, the Philistines gathered a huge army so large that some of the Israelites ran away in fear. But Samuel gave instructions to Saul that would lead to their victory. He told Saul to wait in a region called Gilgal until he could meet him there. Then they would give a sacrifice to God before the battle with the Philistines. But Saul grew impatient, and before Samuel got there, he offered the sacrifice himself. Saul's actions had terrible consequences. He continued to choose to go against what God commanded, and instead build up his own wealth and power, leading to the end of his rule in Israel. It was time for another king. Good morning. We've had a great morning. First service was awesome. Worship team, thank you. They did a great job. And uh, we've been in the middle of 24-hour prayer. I looked at the sheet. There were a lot of people that came in the middle of the night last night. I kind of I slid out at about 11 and uh, got here right at the beginning. But it's been a great time. I would encourage you. We're going to pray all the way through this afternoon. And then we're coming back here at 6 o'clock tonight for the night of worship. And it's going to be an awesome time tonight. If you enjoy, just, you enjoy what happens here on a Sunday morning, we're just going to worship. We're going to go for God and see what he does in this place. So I'd encourage you to be a part of it. How many of you were here last Sunday and we received a special offering, Give the Gift to Camp? Anybody remember that last week? Okay. You want to know how much you gave last week? You gave over $3,000. Come on. So there are some kids that are going to be able to go to camp that weren't able to go to camp. And I wanted to say thank you. Thank you for honoring me and celebrating my birthday. And it was a great, great week, a great birthday. Hey, lots happening here at City Church. Just uh, want to encourage you. You're in the right place. Welcome home. God loves you. We love you. We love Jesus here. We make no apologies about it. We love Jesus. We're all about making the name of Jesus famous in our city. Hey, if you have your Bibles this morning, I want you to turn in our story. This is in chapter 10 of the book, but I'm going to read it right out of the text. I want you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 9. We're going to read a couple of verses in 1 Samuel chapter 9, and then we're going to Skip over to First Samuel chapter 15 and read a couple of verses. But if you could stand with me in the, reading, in the honor of reading God's Word. If you do that this morning, if you could stand with me. We're going to read First Samuel chapter 9, and then we're going to read a couple of verses over in First Samuel 
chapter 15. First Samuel chapter 9, beginning with verse number 1. And the Bible says, There was a Benjamite, a man of standing, whose name was Kish, son of Abil, the son of Zeor, the son of Bechereth, the son of Aphi, a Benjamite. Ooh. Kish had a son named Saul. I got that one. Kish had a son named Saul. As handsome as a young man as Brad Pitt could be found anywhere in Israel. And he was a head taller than anyone else. Now I want you to look at verse number 15. And the Bible says, Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed this to Samuel. About this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him ruler over my people Israel. He will deliver them from the hand of the Philistines. I have looked on my people, for their cry has reached me. When Samuel caught sight of Saul, the Lord said to him, This is the man I spoke to you about. He will govern my people. And I want you to turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15, we're going to read verses 22 and 23. The Bible says, But Samuel replied to Saul, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Sad. Very sad. But I have a big idea. I want you to hear this this morning. I want you to hear this this morning. God has called us to live a life of significance. God's called us to live a life of significance. Our choices determine our success. God's called you to live a life of significance. Our choices, my choices, your choices determine your success. Uh, Our pastoral prayer moment this morning, we are praying for Harvest International Harvest Time International. John Murphy is the leader. They are located right here in Sanford. Every week we pray for a different ministry in our community. And I would have you join with me. This is a great ministry. They've done an incredible job in blessing thousands of families in Seminole County. And we're going to come into an agreement and pray that God would continue to direct and lead their leadership this morning as we pray. Father, I thank you this morning that the reading of your word, our hearts have been touched. We thank you for what you've already done in the service this morning. But, God, I pray that you will use me once again. God, that I will be a vessel that speaks your word, that goes into the ears of the hearer, and then moves into their heart, God, and moves them to change and to action. God, let your words become, let my words become your words in their ears today. Father, I need you. I need your grace and your strength. I can't do this without you today. Lord, we thank you that we can come into an agreement and partner with other ministries like Harvest Time International and John Murphy and the whole host of uh, staff that he has there that, that is bringing your love to this city. And God, I bless them today. I pray that you'll bring them the resources, the people, everything that they have need of today. We thank you, Lord. We thank you that you are for every ministry that makes the name of Jesus famous in our city. And so we bless them today. Now bless your people in your awesome and wonderful name. And everyone said, amen. You may be seated this morning. Anybody ever have a job where your boss was complicated? Anybody ever have a job where your boss is complicated? All right. Now, if your boss is in the room right now, you don't have to raise your hand, okay? (laughs) 
I'm sure at times I've been a, a complicated boss. I'm sure that I have been because I'm complicated with myself sometimes. So I've got to be a little complicated with other people. But I, I remember when I first started working in the business world, I, I had a boss that was complicated. Some people would actually call him the boss from you know where, H-E double toothpaste. I mean, he was a really convoluted guy. Uh, he drank too much. He uh, did too many drugs. He womanized too much. Uh, he cursed too much. He abused people too much. But he also had a big heart. <laughs> he was, I mean, he was just mixed up. I mean, one moment he'd be talking about your sister and your mother and your brother and where you could go. And then he'd turn around the next moment and be the happiest guy on the planet. He was just like this Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And he was really complicated in my life because I really wanted to work in this job. It was a great place to work as far as the finances, the money, but he was not easy. He was like Facebook says, complicated. It was a complicated relationship. And we had a very difficult relationship. He would would always hang this threat that he was going to fire me kind of over my head at any moment. I mean, I just always felt that way around him. Anybody ever felt that way around a boss before? Okay. About four of you felt that way. I felt that way before. And and I didn't like that feeling very much. And then then he was also kind of one of these guys that would bribe people in order for you to get the schedule you wanted. So if you wanted a couple of days off this week or you wanted a certain day off, you'd have to bring him a six-pack or a 12-pack of beer. I mean, everything he did was just convoluted. It was difficult. And, uh, and I finally, I mean, it was difficult in my life till one day I finally had enough. I just couldn't take it anymore. I mean, he had been riding me and pushing me and, and just kind of giving me the business. And one day we were at a party. It was actually at his house. And he was slightly inebriated. And uh, I looked at him and I said, uh, no more. I said, you want to rumble? <laughs> he said, he was 30-some years old. I was 19. I said, you want to rumble? He said, all right, let's go rumble. I said, let's go in your backyard. And so I headed into his backyard, and he came following me, and we rolled around on the ground a little bit, and I ended up on top, and that was the last time he ever bugged me again. <laughs> it was a complicated relationship. We went on to become friends as I grew, and uh, he backed down a little bit, and my life got a little easier. You know, the fact is we have people in our life that are complicated. What I came to later discover about this man many years later after I came to Christ is that this man that I worked for was a backslidden Christian. He had grown up in a Christian home, and his life was far from God. And because his life was far from God, he had lots of internal internal struggles, and he would take them out on the people that were around him. When we look at this life, the life of Saul, it's a very fascinating life. You saw kind of a, a panoramic view of the book of 1 Samuel in about two minutes and 50 seconds. It did a great job of walking you through the story. But I want to take you just through a couple of highlights this morning. I want to talk about a couple of things this morning. That, that when I begin to look at the scriptures, and especially when I look at the leaders of the Bible, I learn that there are some really good things to do, but I also learn that there are some really good things not to do. You know, the fact is, everywhere in your life, you must learn that lesson. You're going to watch people. You're going to look at other people. It could be your parents. It could be your boss. It could be your brother. It could be your friend. And you could learn some really good things to do. But they do some things also at times that you know, you know what? If I want to live a good life, I probably shouldn't do that. And Saul's a great classic example of that. As a matter of fact, if you read the annals of Scripture, the end of Saul's life doesn't go well. This is really kind of a heavy message. I, I've been processing this all week. I told my wife this is one of the harder messages I preach because it doesn't end on a positive note. As a matter of fact, when you look at the life of Saul, his life ends bad. 
What I've discovered about many, many, many people, and myself included, many times it's easy to start something well. You know, there's kind of a thought in the employ, employment world or when you bring a new person on your team or you go into a new job, you give your very best, you give your very best your first six months. Well, it's just kind of the way it goes. You know, you give your very best. I, I've seen it many, many, many times. People come into a place, they're all fired up and ready to roll and, and they're excited and six months later, they're like looking for the door. They're just like angry, they're upset, life's not going well. The story that we're in this morning is in a time period called the Judges. The very last verse of Judges, chapter 21, it says, In those days there was no king, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. The children of Israel just kind of lived for themselves. They had no one really ruling over them. They had 21 judges, and, and we've talked about that cycle that they'd find them sin, themselves in. They would, they would go into rebellion. They would rebel against the Word of God. God would bring retribution, and then because of His discipline in their life, they would repent, and then their repentance would go to God, and God would forgive them and restore them, and then they would find themselves at a place of rest. It was a cycle over and over for four hundred years. And this time period is coming to a close, and the children of Israel, they want to be like the rest of the nations. They want to have a king. They want to have a king. And Samuel's not about this. He's like, listen, you can only have one king in your life, and his name is Yahweh. You know, the fact is today, you can really only have one king in your life. You can only have, you can only have one master. Either the Spirit of God will master or rule your life, or your flesh is going to rule your life. I mean, it's kind of, it's not a, it's not a both game. You either or, you're either, you have the Lord as your king or you have self as your king. The children of Israel wanted to be like the rest of the nations that were around them. Samuel says, listen, guys, he's a good conservative. Listen, if you have a king, this is what's going to happen. Your taxes are going to get raised. Your sons and your daughters are going to go to war. His kids won't go to war, but your kids will go to war. You'll give him the best of your food, the best of your clothing. He's going to raise your taxes. He's going to put his finger on your neck. I mean, life's going to be difficult. He's going to take everything you make. He's going to take the very first of it. You know when you get a paycheck every week, you know the very first person you pay? <laughs> you pay the president every week. You pay the federal government. There's, if you decide not to pay the king, you know what he's going to do? He's going to throw your, your ear in in a clinky, clinky. You pay or you go to jail. It's the way you, you don't get out of paying the government. You don't get out of paying the king. And Saul knew that that was going to take place. Israel rejected God as their king. And the Bible says God gave them a king of their own choosing. I want you to see something here. This is very, very powerful. God appointed Saul to be king. Now, now I... I read the Bible many times. I don't have answers for things. I don't know why God chose Saul. Other than when God saw Saul, he seemed to be the best candidate to lead his people in victory over their enemies. That's all I can say. As a matter of fact, when you look at the first beginning of Saul's life, you see that, that Saul was actually a pretty good guy. I mean, Saul was called of God. He's, he's anointed by Samuel. I mean, he has the spirit of God come upon him. And as I was reading through the story, what I realized is that we can learn from some things from Saul's life. Saul encountered, Saul encountered the purpose of God in his life as he was honoring his father chasing donkeys. It's one of the great stories of Saul's life. Saul's a young man. 
His father's got some donkeys. They go and wander. His dad says, go and chase the donkeys. Go and find the donkeys. So he, he grabs his servant. They go chasing donkeys, and they can't find the donkeys. But while he is chasing the donkeys, while he is honoring his father, while he's doing what he's supposed to be doing, he runs into his destiny. And you know what? That's how God works in your life and my life. While we're doing the right things, God opens the right doors. When you do the right things, you get the right results. When you do the wrong things, you get the bad results. The challenge is we want to do the wrong things and get the right results. But the fact is, Saul was doing what he was supposed to be doing. Saul was chasing donkeys. He was following the command of his father. Hey, go find these donkeys. And while he was doing that, he runs into Saul. He has an encounter with the man of God. And his life would never be the same. Here's the deal. One encounter. One encounter. One word. One job. One person. One check. One song. One word. One, one person at the right place at the right time. And your life will forever take a trajectory on the right potential path for you. That's how God works. That's how God works in all of our life. It's amazing. You can look back over the history of your life if you're a believer. I can look back now almost 30 years, not quite 30 years, but almost 30 years, and I can see how God has woven. I mean, I don't even know how I got here. I really can't tell you how I got to Central Florida. But I know I just followed the next step in the thing that God had for me to do. Saul starts well. He seemed to have a humility about him. He's kind of a humble guy. Hey, how can God use me? I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. You know, some people see it a weakness. But, you know, honestly, most leaders, if they get really honest, you get them in a the back room, they don't know how they got there. When I first came to the city, I got to meet Dr. Joel Hunter, and, and uh, he's just one of the great pastors, one of the kindest pastors that I've ever met in my life. And I got to spend some time once a month with him. I was part of a small group, and one day I was talking to him. We were standing out in the lobby of his church, and he was telling about the growth of the church. And I said, how you, how'd you do it? He said, I got no idea. <laughs> I just showed up, and I kept serving Jesus, and I kept preaching the gospel, and the church continued to grow, and I really don't know. And we did a couple things, but you know, we didn't do advertising. We just, God blessed it, and we just tried to do the next thing. I, I, most pastors that I've known that have had some great favor in their life, man, they just realized it was the hand of God. They were in the right place at the right time, not because they were that smart, not because they did anything, because, but because God directed them. And Saul seems to have that sense of humility about him, at least starting off. He starts off pretty good. And then you know what? He takes the challenge. Samuel anoints him with oil. It's really cool. He anoints him with oil. He tells him to go and wait. He says, while you're going... You're going to run into a bunch of prophets, and you're going to start to prophesy, and the Spirit of God is to come upon you, and you're going to begin to prophesy to them. And he accepts it. He goes, and as he's going, he runs into a group of prophets, and the God's Spirit and power comes upon him and supernaturally confirms the call upon his life. We're people of the Spirit today. I don't want to ever discount that in my life. I don't ever want to discount that in your life. You're people of the Spirit. God still works signs and wonders. God still speaks to his people. God still confirms the call of God. How did I end up doing what I'm doing today? I, trust me, I did not start off to be a preacher. I did not start off to be the pastor of a city church. That's not the trajectory of my life. My dad was a construction worker. He was a, he was a machinist. He was a laborer. He was a good Democrat. 
And uh, he was a union shop steward. That was my dad. My dad, you know, he went to church, but he wasn't even that good of a church man. But he did go to church. And God called me the very first time. One of the reasons I know, one of the ways that I know is is the very first time I ever preached. There was about 150 of us in a youth group. My church had a big youth group. My youth pastor asked me to preach. I'd been saved about three weeks. I shared my story. And at the end of my story, 35 young people came forward to give their life to Christ. Come on, amen. Give God a big hand. I mean, I knew right then that was, I mean, that doesn't happen all the time. I mean, I was blown away. It was a confirmation of my life. Saul was anointed. He began to prophesy. He began to speak the word of God. God confirmed the call upon his life. But the challenge is Saul went down as the greatest failure in biblical history. Saul went down. When Israel needed a king to lead them into victory, Saul led them into into defeat. I want you to see something there. That wasn't Saul's destiny. Saul wasn't born doomed to fail. No, 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 no. God gave him everything he had needed. God gave him his spirit. God called him. God directed him. God empowered him. God gave, gave him all the tools that he needed to live a life of victory. But something happened in Saul's heart. Something changed. Something changed when position was given to him. Something changed when power and wealth came his way. Something changed. His heart began to change. He began to look to those things. He began to seek after those things. He began to do things that were not inside the purposes of God. You know, I've thought about this story a lot. I've wrangled through this message all week long. And I was reminded of a book that I read many years ago entitled The Tale of Three Kings by a man by the name of Gene Edwards. And Gene Edwards talks about three kings. He talks about Saul, he talks about David, and he talks about Absalom. I want you to hear what he says about Saul. Gene Edwards says, While we may have our eyes judgmentally focused on the corrupt king Saul, God has his eyes fastened sharply on another king Saul. Not the visible one standing up there throwing spears like Saul did at David. No, God is looking at another king, Saul, one just as bad or worse. God is looking at the king, Saul, in you. Saul's in your bloodstream and the marrow of your bone. He makes up your flesh and the muscle of your heart. He is mixed into your soul. He inhabits the nuclei of your atoms. King Saul is one with you. You are King Saul. The fact is the potential for every single one of us in this room is to be a King Saul. Uh, every single one of us. It's for me. It's, I, I mean, I look into my own heart. I begin to pull it back. Ooh, that motive wasn't quite right. I didn't say that. I wasn't thinking right. I want it for my. I mean, the fact is that potential is there for every single one of us. But there's also the potential to have the heart of David, the heart who is passionate after God, the heart who is a worshiper of God. There's also the potential to be an Absalom, to be a usurper of the purposes of God. I mean, the potential is for every single one of us. We have choices to make. And the choices that you make in your life and the choices that I make in my life, really, they determine our success. They determine if we move forward. They determine if we advance. They determine if we experience victory, if we have righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit, or we live frustrated, discouraged, defeated, and oppressed. The choice is ours. 
It's not complicated. You make a choice. Oh, preacher, years ago I heard this. It still rings in my ear. I hear this. He said, you know what? You just go ahead and be as mean and nasty to yourself as you are to me and everyone else, and you'll be okay. <laughs> you just look at yourself. You just criticize yourself and be as critical on yourself as you are me, the preacher, and everyone else. You'll be okay. I wrote this down yesterday. The easiest thing for a person, Eugene, to do is to observe and judge the actions and failures of others. The hardest thing for Eugene to admit is my own failures and my own misguided actions. I mean, it's easy, man. It's easy to see what other, it's easy to see what your boss is doing wrong. It's easy to see what your parents did wrong. It's easy to see what your husband. It's easy to see what your, it's easy to see. But when you start to pull it back, we always want to make an excuse for everyone else. We want to hold other people to a really high standard of accountability. But, hey, come on, man. We're all fallen. You know, we're all saved by grace. We all make mistakes. Sinner, chief of sinners. Come on. We all say those things about ourselves. That's the natural tendency of the human heart. Let me give you three things that we can learn from Saul's life real quickly. here. First of all, Saul thought he could worship God on his own terms. He thought he could worship God on his own terms. He thought, hey, man, it doesn't really matter as long as I'm worshiping God. It doesn't matter how I do it. You know, God, he, he'll be okay with it. He's, he's a big man in the sky out there. He's good. I'm just trying. <laughs> Jesus said, you worship me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. And it's not worshiping God on our terms. It's worshiping God on his terms. He's the king. He's the Lord. He's the God. He's holy. He's worthy of all of your praise. He asks for everything. He wants your heart. He wants your mouth. He wants your mind. He wants your pocketbook. He wants your job. He wants your family. He wants you to surrender everything to him. He is God all by himself. Amen. What Saul failed to understand was the heart of true worship. Saul failed to understand it. I read through this story, and the next week, next week we're going to talk about David, and both Saul and David messed up. <laughs> I was studying for Father's Day in a couple of weeks, and, and uh, next week, and, and one of the guys said, which, one pastor said, what bad dad of the Bible do you want me to preach on? Because when you start to look at all the dads in the Bible, not too many of them did it right. You think, well, I didn't do that, and I didn't, you know. The fact is, when you look at the guys of the Bible, very few of them did it all right. But David, David had a heart after God. David was quick to repent. David ran to God. Saul, Saul did just the opposite. He failed to understand the heart of a true worshiper, to worship God. Jesus said the Father is looking for those who will worship him, worship him in spirit and truth. Love them with all their heart, soul, and strength. I don't even fully comprehend the dimension of that. Because you can't and I can't. But I just know it's a surrender thing. It's a daily. God, I choose today to worship you. I choose today to serve you. David cried out, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. So I'll try to do the right thing, seemingly. Seemingly try to do the right thing. But it really ultimately ended up to be the wrong thing. He wanted it on his own terms. He wanted to worship God on his own terms. Paul writes to the church at Corinth, and he talks about some of the things that they were doing. You guys are involved in sexual immorality. What are you guys doing? You're crazy. This is not God's purpose for his holy people. They're, they get drunk. They're coming to the church. They're coming into a worship service, and they're getting drunk. And they're racist, and they're 
bigoted and they're discriminating based on people's income. They've got all this brokenness. And they think they're going to worship God. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, it's got to be a surrendered thing. It's not that we don't mess up sometimes because we all fall short of the glory. We all do. I get that. But our heart is surrendered, fully surrendered to him. It's not about what I don't do. It's never about what I don't do, but it's about what I do do. And the moment it becomes about what you don't do in your life, you're a legalist and you're a Pharisee. You are. The moment it becomes about, I don't do that, I don't do that, I don't smoke, drink, and shit, big deal. So what? Well, you know, there are all kinds of people that don't do things that harm their body. Big deal. But what I do do is I worship God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength to the best of my ability. I choose today. I'm going to wake up tomorrow. And I'm going to choose tomorrow. For 29 years, as up and down as it's been, I've made a choice to keep going after God with all worship. The second thing that I want you to learn from the life of Saul is that Saul continually blamed other people. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, Saul was to go to war. And the Philistines were rattling against them and and the people were nervous, and the soldiers were all afraid. And so Saul decides, hey, we need to get a little worship here. You know, we need to, we need to go to God. We need to inquire and seek with God if he's going to give us the victory. And so the, the Bible says that Saul waited for Samuel. Samuel said, I'm going to show up. I'll be there in seven days. And Saul's waiting and waiting, and he's impatient. Come on, he's a leader. Come on, let's get this done. Let's get this moving. Come on, Samuel, where are you? You're supposed to be here now. Where, come on, where, wait, what are you doing? Where, come on, Samuel can't wait for Samuel. So he decides that he's going to take on the role of the priest. No, no, no. The Word of God said, no, no, no. The Word of God said that the priest, only the high priest, only the priest was allowed to offer sacrifice. So now Saul wants to self-appoint himself to be the priest. And he's going to do it. And he starts to offer sacrifices, and the moment he does, Samuel walks. Oh, wait, wait, no, you don't understand. You know, the guys were getting a little nervous, and, you know, really, they, they were kind of slipping out, and I figured I had to do something to kind of keep everybody together. Hey, and Samuel, by the way, you told me you were going to be here, you know, at, at 6 o'clock, and, you know, it's like 6.15, and you're not here. You know, it's always somebody else's fault. Well, Samuel, the enemies, I mean, it was, you know, they were coming. I just had to do it. You don't understand. I just had to do it because it was, I didn't have any other choices, and, you know, my mom, you know, she was a bad example for me. And, you know, that pastor over there, he really blew it and he screwed up. And so, you know, if he messed up, come on, how can you trust anybody? And he kept always blaming other people for his issues. And that never works. One of the brothers in our, lot, in our church is going through an addiction program. And uh, God's really done an incredible life over the last couple of months. It's been really cool to watch him. And, and he gave me the book that he's using. It's a workbook. And I started going through the workbook this week. And, and the very first chapter of the book says, it says this, says, if you are reading this book, you have a problem. <laughs> just admit it. Okay. Let's just start right there. <laughs> the blame game. You know the blame. We all know. We blame president, blame politics, blame whatever. No, no, no. No, no, no. God doesn't allow you to take blame and put it on someone else. As a matter of fact, Paul says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due for us, the things done while in this body, whether good or bad. Saul blamed everybody but himself because Saul, number three, willfully disobeyed God. He 
willfully disobeyed God. First Samuel chapter 15, verse 17. Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, you were once humble, and you started out well, and you honored your father, and you did the right things. Did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel, and the Lord anointed you? Verse number 19. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of God? But I did obey, Saul said. Samuel said, no, you didn't. See, he kind of obeyed. He partially obeyed. He kind of surrendered his pocketbook. He kind of surrendered his thought life. He kind of surrendered his attitude towards his boss. He kind of surrendered his life to his spouse in marriage. Kind of. But not completely. God had Saul's best interest at heart. God loves Saul. God chose him. God chose you. Jesus said, many are called, few are chosen. I've never quite understood what that means. But I know that the call is out there. And the choices that Saul made, the choices that he made, I don't believe today that Saul was predestined to be the worst king to do this evil land. I don't believe that. I believe he made choices that determined his destiny. See, it's the nature of disobedience. It's an act of rebellion against God's established order. And it leads you to a place of brokenness and emptiness. God viewed this disobedience in this way. Saul, Samuel told Saul, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry, because you rejected the word of the Lord. I rejected you. One of the, one of the scariest verses in all the Bible. Because you rejected the Lord, the Lord rejected you. Wow. Tough, scary words. I don't know how you slice that, look at it. I've got to put a little bit of fear of God in all of us. You know, he thought he could do it his way. That he could worship God his way. Live life his way. No. No. You know, into Saul's life, because the presence of God is absent. He's not getting words from God. He's not getting direction from God. Things aren't making sense. Life is hard. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that he became mentally distressed, tormented by an evil spirit. I mean, he was depressed. He was discouraged. Nothing was working right. He was full of jealousy and bitterness. And God wasn't speaking to him. He didn't know what was wrong. The Bible says that he goes to a witch. Looks for a substitute. Still trying to hear Still wants to know his future. But he doesn't really have confidence that God is good. That's what happens in sin in our life. When sin left, left, is left unchecked in our life, it doesn't allow us to have confidence in God. But John says this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we know him and know his love, if we know him and we know his love, anything that we ask, he will hear and give to us. This is the confidence that we have. When we're in right relationship with God, we have confidence. We have confidence that we can boldly come to the throne of God. But when there's sin and there's gunk and there's junk and we're doing it our own way and we're live disobedient one day and trying to run back the next day, there's this, this Jekyll and Hyde schizophrenia going on and we're not really sure that God accepts us. And the whole time he says, I love you. I just want you to do it my way. Consequences are great. The consequences for not getting this one are great. 
So here's the deal. Learn what not to do from Saul. All right? You want to learn, study his life. I mean, there's 31 chapters. You can, you can learn. One of, some, of the best, some of the best ways to learn leadership is to see what you should not do. <laughs> don't do that. Don't go that way. You know, the challenge is most people don't know history, so they're doomed to repeat it. I mean, it's our culture. We're, we don't know history. We don't know what happened in the past. And the fact is, people do the same things that people in previous generations did with the same choices when they don't know God. So, I mean, learn what not to do. That's pretty simple. Everyone said amen? Number two, make it your goal to not only start strong, but to finish strong. Paul said, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given to me. Finish the task. I want to finish the race. <laughs> I told first service, I've experienced this in my life as a pastor. I've been in a room when people take their final breath of life. I don't know if you ever have or not, but it's not a place that I'd like to be, but it's a place because of my calling and responsibility I've found myself. And I've been in a room when people are taking their last breath of life, literally. I've been in a room when their hands are lifted towards heaven. I've seen it. Praying, worshiping, giving God praise. I've heard them praying in the Holy Spirit, going out to glory. But I've also been in a room where people are breathing their last breath, and I'm trying to leave, and they're holding on to my arm, telling me they don't want to die. <laughs> they didn't have confidence. I mean, I look back at the people's lives and their eternal destiny, I have no idea. I just know that they didn't know. They didn't feel like they finished the race strong. So here's the third thing. Let's seek to be people who worship God in spirit and truth. Let's be those kind of people. Let's be a people who agree together as a family. We're going to finish strong. We're going to run the race. We're going to, like Paul says in Hebrews 12, we're going to put off those things, those weights that hinder us. We're going to get our minds renewed. You choose. You choose to pick up the Bible. You choose to read it. You choose to go to church on Sunday. You choose to fellowship with other believers. You, you choose. No one's going to force this down you. I want to encourage you today. God does love you. God, God wants you to live a life of significance. He created you for that. We see it in the very beginning. God made him in his image. He said, be fruitful and multiply. God called Abraham and said, Abraham, I'm going to change your name. I'm going to make you a blessing so that you can be a blessing. God brings Isaac alongside. Isaac, I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing. Oh, Jesus. Jesus tells a story of a father who has two sons. He has two sons, and one son stays home and does what he's supposed to be doing, but the other one wants to live for himself. And Jesus says the prodigal gave him a choice. Realize, prodigal realized that it wasn't working. He was feeling... The Bible says that he came to his senses and he came back home. That's all the Father's looking for. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible, when I'm tired and weary, when I'm feeling weak and I can't go any farther, the words of Jesus roll through my mind. Come unto me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my burden is easy, and my yoke is light. The Father calls you. God loves you today. He 
wants you to finish the life. He wants you to live the life that's significant to his creator. I don't know how to make it any simpler. Listen, I love Jesus, and I know you do today. I want you to close your eyes right now. You wouldn't be here today if there wasn't something in your heart that wanted God. And I know this wasn't an easy word. It's probably one of the more difficult words that I've had to bring. But I do want to lay a challenge before you today. I want to lay a challenge before you today. Whatever you're going through, run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. Could you stand with me this morning? I just want to take just a moment here. We're coming to the end of the message here. Keith, if you could come at this time. Wherever you're at. You feel God speaking to you today. Area of your life that he wants to surrender. I want to pray for you. There's an area of your life that you know that hasn't been fully surrendered to the Lord, and he's speaking to you. And he's saying, I want it. I want your whole heart. That's you. I'd like to come into an agreement with you, but could you just signify by raising your hand right now in this room and letting me know so that I can know and pray for you today. I'm not here to embarrass anyone, but I do want to pray for you. If that's you right now, there's an area of your life that God is speaking to this room. I see those hands. I see those hands. I see that hand. Those hands. I see that hand today. I see those hands. Yeah, God loves you. He really does. And just all of us as a congregation, I love what Quigley said. We're just going to, as an act of surrender, it's just... You know, it's not just something that these people over here, these charismatics do. No, no, no. It's what men of ancient of times, men from ancient of times, when they begin to worship God, they lifted their hands. Paul said that we lift up holy hands unto the Lord. It's not a weird thing. It's a surrender thing. As your hand is surrendered today, I want to pray the blessing of God over you today. And right where you're sitting, you can just pray. You can just pray right to God. You can ask Him, God, change me. God, I come to you. I need your grace and strength. I'll pray for you, but in your own words, you talk to God. You talk to God. You let him know that you're coming to him today. You need him. Lord, I thank you for every person that's here. Thank you for the amazing grace that you've already demonstrated to us. Bless your people. Lord, I know today, Lord, we want to finish well. We want to finish strong. God, we want to do your purposes in our generation. God, we're here today as one people, with one heart, and one voice to be worshipers of you and spirit and in truth. God, you see those who are wrestling and struggling with addictions, problems, and issues. I know in my own heart, I surrender it to you today. I surrender my choices and my thoughts, my desires. I choose today to serve you, to worship you. God, I pray for your people as they make that choice right where they're at. I bless them in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray that your grace and your spirit and your strength will be their portion. God, empower them like you empowered Saul. You did empower him by your Holy Spirit. Empower your people today. Fill them with your Spirit. In Jesus' name. In the wonderful name of Jesus. Can you give the Lord a great big hand clap this morning? Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you, Pastor. I love that, Pastor. Thank you. Our choices determine our success. I love that. Amen. Appreciate that. The lights, house lights are coming on. Ushers, you can make your way forward. And uh, before we leave today, we're going to give you an opportunity to give. Isn't it an honor to just to give and worship to our King? Isn't it? Amen.
And so our verse for this month um, that we're going to be covering is found in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 10. And just so you know what's going on here, uh, Moses is giving, uh, is speaking to the Israelites um, uh, something that he feels is necessary because uh, they're, they're about to enter the promised land and receive all that God has promised them for such a long time. They're about to receive the blessing of God. And uh, he notices a sense of entitlement just coming upon them. And he wants to remind them of some, some simple practical truths that he felt he wanted, God wanted to share with them at this time. So here we are in, in Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 10. And uh, the context is Moses speaking to the Israelites about giving to the poor, right? And if we could read this together, can we do this? Can we read this together this morning? One, two, three. Give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. Then, because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. So good, so good. And you know, church, the amazing thing about giving and meeting the needs practically of those in our community, those in our church, um, is that it paves the way for them to experience this God that we worship. Amen. Your giving is making a difference for someone else to experience this God that we're preaching about and singing songs to. And it's amazing. And, and many people have different ideas and many people have different opinions politically and socially about giving to the poor. But church, we've got a mandate and a responsibility to take care of those in need in our community. And listen, we are doing that. You are a part of a church that does that. Isn't that amazing? And so your giving is making a difference. I want to pray over your offering and your tithe as you give this morning. So go ahead and pull it out and get ready to give this morning. Father, we are honored to give to you. God, we worship you with our offering. We've worshiped you in song. We've worshiped you with our hearts in response to your word, God. And now we worship you with our offering and our hard-earned wages. God, that, that represents a life change for somebody else who doesn't, God, have resources. And, and God, we pray that, that, that you would take this money that we give today, God, and it would result not just in practical needs being met, but in souls getting saved, God. We're so honored to give back to you. God, bless every dollar that comes in. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. 